It's good to see you guys. I'm back after a little month hiatus with the wife and kids. We escape usually in May to Southern California area and work on some new projects with work and write and read and trying to just mix up the routine. So returned from that and uh, had a lot of fun. Um, I'm nervous to be back with you guys, so hopefully that's okay with you guys. I don't know. It's, it's funny. I get all into the groove and then like I'm away. It's like, are they still going to like me? No. <laughs> But um, tonight, I'm, I'm going to talk on uh, pr uh, the prophecy and the prophetic. I'm not going to get through all of it tonight. Um, I'm learning and growing in my teaching style. It's not to like jam like five hours into 40 minutes for you guys, because I really, I want this topic to take root. And so this is going to be two parts. The first is to build a foundation we can stand upon. Because for me, the prophetic and prophecy was this unknown, mysterious, and controversial topic for me. And so what I missed in a teaching when I was in my early 20s, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give to you tonight what I wish someone would have told me when I was developing my faith. Because up until my early 20s, I didn't even believe that prophecy even existed. I didn't believe that the prophetic was even real. And one reason I didn't believe it was real because I didn't understand it. And so that's one of the main points tonight is not to like activate us all, which we're going to get there, but is to really understand us so we can stand on top of it. It's important that our mind and, and our, our heart is aligned with truth, but also that we walk in power. We walk in truth and power. And so tonight I'm going to lay the foundation of truth for you. But one reason it was hard for me is because the prophetic is something that's kind of out of our control. Like every other realm and every discipline of the Christian faith, it kind of like fits in a box, right? Don't do this. It's really easy to understand. When it comes to listen to the voice of God and share what you hear, that's like a little uncomfortable. And so prophecy in the prophetic was this area that I didn't want wise because it was outside of my human control. And when you don't understand things and you can't control it, what do you do? You reject it. When you don't understand something and you can't control it, you reject it. And that for me as a recipe was like, prophecy, it's old times, not for now, we've got the Bible. And that was the conventional wisdom. That's a very popular view, and I'm going to educate you on that tonight. So tonight I'm going to try and accomplish three things. Is, is first, is, is prophecy and the prophetic relevant for today? The second is, is prophecy the same as the Old Testament? And the third is, what does prophecy and the prophetic do exactly? Exactly. I want to know. And let me preface this talk with this, is that prophecy and the prophetic is the most influential and impactful force on my spiritual formation today. Beyond anything else, beyond the Greek, beyond the scriptures, beyond relationship, prophecy in the prophetic is the most influential and impactful force in my formation. And I believe the same should be for you. So first, is prophecy in the prophetic relevant for today? This is the vexing issue that come against your mind. I went to a Christian college and had brilliant scholars, but unfortunately, most of the scholars say prophecy is only for the times of the apostles. So I just never questioned this. Like, okay, that sounds good, right? So one of the issues is that we battle in our mind, is this even real? Is this for today? Maybe not in these walls, perhaps, but outside these walls, would you know that half of Christianity, half of the denominations out there, they don't even believe this stuff's legit. They don't believe it's real. Half. So I want you to be formed on that issue and understand why that is. And so the term, if you want to sound really smart at the next cocktail party, which don't bring up theology in a cocktail party, actually, is cessationism. 
It sounds like sensationalism, but it's cessationism, kind of like ceasing. And it's the belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today, that they only existed during the time when the Bible was being written. It's very, very important. Cessationism, try it again. Cessationism believes that the gifts of the Spirit were only during the times when the Bible was being written. But as soon as the Bible was canonized, they ceased. Cessationism. And that extends across all sorts of denominations, Presbyterians, Wesleyans, Lutherans, Baptists, Methodists, and more. And anywhere you find a, a denomination that's influenced by Calvinism, you'll also find cessationism. It's very common. It's very popular. There's, there's more cessationists than there are people who believe the gifts are for today. And it all centers basically around one passage in the Bible. The whole entire belief that all the gifts have ceased surround mostly one passage of the Bible. I want to give it to you so you know you're informed. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. It says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And the operative word there is when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. What is the perfect? The cessationists believe the perfect is the Bible. And as soon as the canonization of the scriptures came, that all the gifts of the Spirit that were moving to work to preserve the scriptures would then come to an end. But yet, when we come across a difficult passage in the Bible, we need to do something very specific. It's apply hermeneutics, which that's a term that Brett Shoemaker will know because he's studying theology. Hermeneutics is, I won't quiz you, but it is the study of what things mean. It's one thing to know what, they, what it says, right? Like we look at it like, I know what that says, that's English. I know those words. I know what that says. Hermeneutics is the study of what something means. And to know what Scripture means, you have to have two questions, especially in the New Testament. This is so key. You will understand much more of the Bible if you know these two things. You have to ask yourself first, what did this mean to the author? And second, what would this mean to the reader? You have to know that when Paul penned his letter to the Corinthians that we read, we're actually eavesdropping in on his letter to somebody else. It's like breaking into someone else's email with their permission. And so to understand the scriptures that are a gift to us, we actually have to understand what did, what did this mean to Paul and what would this have meant to the Corinthians? So cessationists believe that Paul was inferring the Bible, but here's the thing is that the Bible wasn't canonized for almost 400 years later. He had no idea that there would be a Bible. Neither the Corinthians. Like, I just have the Old Testament and I have this letter. They didn't understand that we would eventually have the scriptures put together. And so they had no idea that there would ever be this formation of, of something that we have today. But with most misunderstandings of passages, all you need to do to really understand them is just keep reading. That's really like part of the Bible study process is what does it mean and I should keep reading. Because usually we'll get those answers as we read it in context. And in context, just two verses later, Paul tells us what the perfect coming is. He says this, For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been known. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Paul is talking about the perfect coming. 
something he will see face to face, something that will fully know him and that he will know. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like Jesus to me. He didn't think that his letters would be forming the Bible. He clearly knew that Jesus would come back eventually or we'd see him in heaven. And essentially what he's saying when he says that prophecies will cease is like, when you're with Jesus, you won't need to prophesy about Jesus. Like we have the gifts of the Spirit while on earth to bridge the gap while the heavenly realms are apart from us. But when we are in the heavenly realms, we may not need to prophesy any longer. That's what he's saying. He's using personal imagery. It has a persona. He's talking about face-to-face. But here's the other challenge with that, with the cessationism view. It says that prophecy will cease when the perfect comes. But did you also catch what it said also will cease? Knowledge. So if you believe that all prophecy ended during the, the writings of the, the Bible, that they ended after that, you also have to believe that knowledge also ended too. Oops. Because that doesn't make sense. I love it when people write books about cessationism. It's like, well, you kind of like, that doesn't make sense. Because I knowledge ceased too. Anyways. <laughs> but beyond Paul's letter, and also it's, it's good to know that what we have in the scriptures, what we have in the Bible, it's not really agreed upon universally. Like Martin Luther, he didn't even want the book of James to be in the Bible. He like ripped it out. He's like, uh-uh. How about the Catholics? They have the entire thing called the Apocrypha. But we have this universal standard of the 66 books that have been canonized. But it's under much debate. Many people have died for it. It's hardly what I would call perfect. I believe that perfect is Jesus. Amen. But beyond that, let's take all that aside. Paul gives us, in his letter to the Ephesians, how long we will have the prophetic gifting in our midst. This is Ephesians 4. He says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until, do you guys see that word there? Until? We all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's a lot of words. It's like sometimes I read Paul's letters like, man, can you put a period in there somewhere? Like even a semicolon would be nice. But we have a, we have a time indicator in this text. Paul's saying you'll have prophets who prophesy. You'll have prophecy and the prophetic in the body until, anybody say, until there's unity of the faith that reaches the stature of Christ. Unity of faith. Did you know there are 33,000 documented denominations in the world? Now, I'm no expert, but I would say that's not quite unified yet. <laughs> but cessationists believe that the Bible is the sign. Cessationists believe that the Bible is the sign that prophecy has ended. It's really important to get that. Here's the other problem, is that prophecy is the sign that we're in the new covenant. Cessationists believe the Bible is a sign that prophecy is done with and over with, but the prophetic is the sign that we are in the new covenant. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, who said that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Peter, at Pentecost, he looks around seeing all these 
these people moving in the Spirit. And he quotes Paul saying, it is in the last days that I'll pour forth my Spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And so prophecy is the outward proof and manifestation that we are in the new covenant marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So from this, we have some conclusions about prophecy and the prophetic. The first is that it is for today. It is for us, men and women. It is proof of the new covenant, and it is here until we are face-to-face with Jesus. So why don't we just spend that five or ten minutes on that, because many of us have a stumbling block of whether or not this stuff is legit. You will never walk in something you have a doubt in. If you actually have a desire to seek the prophetic, which I challenge you, you to, like, this stuff either is legit or it's not. If it is, we better get with the program. I better find out what's there. Because if, if it doesn't exist, if it doesn't matter, then we can just, like, sit back and it's like, this doesn't matter for me. But if it's real, then it asks many questions of us. It, it welcomes us into a whole new realm of our faith. Here's the answer is, Jesus doesn't just want you to come sit in a chair and give your money at a church. That's where this is going. If the prophetic and prophecy is real, he's asking you to do much more than what you've been doing. But I want you to be educated on the other side of the debate. You know that you're educated when you can actually articulate the other side better than they can. So I want you guys to know where this debate comes from, and now you know, all right? Moving on. All right. Is prophecy the same as in the Old Testament? Now, this is what I thought. I was like, yeah, it doesn't exist. And B, those guys were weird. I don't want to have those guys' jobs. Like, that sounds terrible. I was, like, totally confused by it. Now, the Old Covenant is, in prophecy, is much different than the New Covenant. So to answer what prophecy in the New Covenant actually is, we really need to understand what the New Covenant did for us. What happened at the New Covenant? Here's some crazy things. This first is the old law was destroyed, and we have a new law, which is the law of Christ, which is love. Amen. Hallelujah. Next point. That God dwells in us. He's in a new location. He moved in you. Change of residence, address, form, please. God moved locations into you. And third, we are made a new creation. I could talk on this subject endlessly for days on end. I think it's the most radical topic ever that we're a new creation. I really could. But here's the the crazy things about being a new creation is that you just don't suck less than you did before you got saved. Is you are completely brand new. You have a total and utter brand new creature. Like the Greek term for new creation when it talks about you, it's like prototype, never been seen before, okay? And what comes in that is three things, and this is that we can hear God's voice, we have the mind of Christ, and we are instructed by his spirit. Why is Old Testament prophecy different than New Testament prophecy? Because we have a whole bunch of new tools they never had. We have the mind of Christ, we hear God's voice, and we're being instructed by his spirit. Are you guys with me? This is good stuff here coming. So prophecy is merely the outflow of who we've been created to be. How many know Ferraris are made to go fast? That is what they're made for. No one fears like, oh, I'm going to buy a Ferrari and just like, you know, take it on the golf course. Actually, that would kind of be a little fun. But they're not going to like take this in this little tiny winding road. Like in a Ferrari, it's actually hard to go slow. 
because it was made to go fast. When you hear God's voice, when you have his mind and his thoughts, when you learn from his spirit, it will be hard for you not to prophesy. That's the truth. In the new creation, when you have the mind of Christ, I'm not saying strive for it. I'm saying what the Bible declares about you. It doesn't make any gray area. If you're really good, if you tithe all the time, if you attend every, then maybe it's like, no, you have the mind of Christ. You might not be using it. You might not be using it. I had a gym membership that I never used for a long time. It doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything unless you, I actually still have a gym membership. Like, as I pause, there's like, shoot, I still have that going. I need to take care of that. I haven't been for like four years, I think it is. But when you think that you have these things, if you're engaged, it demands a response. You can't help but engage. You don't need to try to prophesy. You don't need to try to be in the prophetic. You just need to like, whoa, I am utilizing the things that I already have. So prophecy is the fruit of being transformed and that you're in the new covenant. That prophecy, as Joel said, is that it is no longer for the prophets, but it's for sons and daughters. Men and women. That was really radical. Like, women aren't supposed to do anything back then. And for the, the fulfillment of prophecy that, that women are going to prophesy, oh, whoa. That's how you know it's legit, right? It's like, they're included? And that's the fulfillment. That's how radical the outpouring of the Spirit is. And so the Old Covenant versus New Covenant, it changed who prophesies and who engages in the prophetic. So that has completely been transformed from a few prophets who are really weird to all of us who have the mind of Christ, hear God's voice, and are taught by the Spirit. In the Old Covenant, you actually had to be a prophet. If you prophesied and you were wrong, you got stoned. There was some pretty severe consequences. But in the new covenant, prophecy is a gift that's available to any believer. It's radically different. John the Baptist, he was the, the last prophet in the Old Testament. I know he's written about in our New Testament, but technically he is the last prophet of the Old Testament. With me? Here's what Jesus says about the the last prophet of the Old Testament says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is saying, the greatest prophet in all the Old Testament, if you are new in the kingdom, you're even greater than him. Like, I just got saved four seconds ago. You are greater than John the Baptist. Why would Jesus say that even a brand new believer is greater than the greatest prophet of the Old Testament? Because John the Baptist and all the other prophets before him did not have the Holy Spirit living in them. All the prophets longed to see a glimpse, a movement, part of the presence of God. And you have it all the time. Do you know that the Holy of Holies where God's manifest presence was? One person, one time a year could go in and they all thought he was going to get killed every single time he went in. One person, one time, once a year could go be in the presence and all of us have it within us. And John the Baptist, he was kind of a crazy dude. He like belonged in the wilderness. He wore clothing of camel's hair. He ate locusts and honey. He was a strange dude. Let's like be honest. He had to go through some crazy things to have an encounter with God that we don't have to have. 
And the role that John the Baptist played was replaced by new believers in the new covenant by the Holy Spirit. What is the role of the new believer then? If that is, if we are the new prophetic witnesses in the New Testament, we're greater than John the Baptist. What is the role of the new believer? It's this in 2 Corinthians 5, that God who reconciled him, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God has reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. The role of the new believers, Christ is in you reconciling them to God, that God is not counting their sins against them. What did Old Testament prophets do? They counted sins against people. Are you with me? You guys, yeah? I can go slower, or I can talk slower, or softer. Old Testament prophets, they counted sins against people. They said, if you don't keep the rules, you can't enter the kingdom. To get into the kingdom, you need to do these works. That's the Old Testament prophecy role. In the New Testament, I'm sorry, so that, that's the Old Testament kind of thinking is that you have to get into the kingdom through works and it keeps a record of your sins. Now, how did John the Baptist die? He's beheaded. Now, this isn't in the text, but could it be an interesting connection that maybe that's a prophetic declaration that the old way of thinking through the old covenant is done with? The last prophet of the old covenant had his head removed as a symbol of the old covenant thinking is now gone? I don't know. It's kind of an interesting thought. But the Old Testament, an old covenant prophet, uh, role of prophetic was to say, look at what you've done. The New Testament prophetic thinking is now, look at what he's done. Vastly different. Old Testament prophets call your sin to remembrance, while New Testament prophets call your righteousness to remembrance. Old Testaments tell you what's wrong with you while New Testament prophets tell you what's right with you because of what Jesus has done in you in spite of what is wrong with you. Old Testament prophets were the ones to declare the warning of God. The New Testament prophets are the ones to declare the welcome of God. These are vastly different combinations. So understanding this, prophecy and the prophetic in the New Testament do two things. What does prophecy and the prophetic do exactly? I want to know exactly. What is the role of prophetic and prophecy? It's two things. Very, very, very simple. It's this is one is it reveals God's heart. And number two, it builds up the body. It reveals God's heart. Number two, it builds up the body. Prophecy reveals God's heart. Any time you share the gospel with anyone, anywhere, you actually are participating with the spirit of prophecy. I've never engaged in the prophetic. Have you ever talked about Jesus? Well, there you have. You have no idea. You engage in the spirit of prophecy any time you share about Jesus. Because Revelation 19.20 says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Your life is a living testament. Who you are, the light you emanate, you are a walking spirit of prophecy. You can't escape it. 
The prophetic is not something we need to like embrace and chase and try and go after. It's just simply being who we are and recognizing that it's already operating in and around us. And this also extends to when we share our testimonies like Oakson tonight. Is that if you hear that and you're like, whoa, I want that for myself, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What that is doing is saying, Lord, do that in me again. When you hear a testimony and you're like, wow, I want that for myself, that's the spirit of prophecy saying, would that be done in my life? And that's why we say amen, which means do it again. Prophecy also authenticates God to unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this, that, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever enters, he is convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so he'll fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God certainly is among you. The prophetic manifests in revelation of mysteries and knowledge of the Son, which we'll talk about in a moment, but also for others. This is commonly referred to as a word of knowledge, what this is talking about is that the, the spirit of the prophetic would basically give you a revelation of a piece of detail for someone. That's called a word of knowledge. Why? So that it authenticates God or Jesus to them. It's something that you would not know on your own. I had my first prophetic encounter as a sophomore in college when a pastor perfectly detailed the room I was in and the feelings and the things I was saying and the fears and all the thoughts I was having. He just like read them off. I'm like, this is weird. We didn't have smartphones then. It was like, you could crack my Evernote or something like that. It was like, these are things written in a journal, hidden under this bed, and you just de describe them. That was my very first prophetic encounter. And so that is like a word of knowledge is that, that authenticates that God is real, that God is active, that he's alive. If you want to see this in action, just go to YouTube and Google the name Todd White. You'll hear his testimonies. They are crazy. They are so crazy. I like it trapped in them. Like, this guy's so cool. We should get him here. But let me make a point about revealing secrets. Here's where this kind of gets a little sideways. Because the prophetic has a bad rap. Amen. <laughs> the people are a little spooky about some of it. And sometimes it's misused and abused. Here's why. Is that people take this passage and they think, to reveal their sin. Revealing the secrets of their heart. Now, if I were to take a man, an average man, and say, the Lord has laid upon my heart that you struggle with lust. He's going to be very unimpressed. He's going to say, ah, it's about a 100% chance you're going to be right on that one. There's no supernatural wisdom and revelation on that topic. I'm just going to say it. But when you say your heart, your dreams are to do this, and someone squashed your dreams, now you got their attention. Like, Como? You know, like they're going to be like, what did you say? When you reveal the secrets of the heart, I'm not talking secrets since I'm talking about aspirations, desires, dreams, hopes, even ones that have been crushed. One of the best miracles that Jesus brought was bringing forth things that were dead, Lazarus re reviving him from the tomb. Part of the prophetic, I believe, is reviving and calling back from the dead some dreams and desires that were broken and lost and dead. That is so much more powerful. When you do that, someone's going to be like, wow, surely God is is in you and is real, and I have to know who he is. And this is exactly why the scripture warns us about what we believe about the prophetic. It says this is, don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Those thoughts are connected. Do not quench the spirit. 
Do not despise prophetic utterances. What does quench mean? Literally, here's what quench means. To extinguish. To put out a fire. Literally. Do not put out the fire of God by despising the prophetic. That's how we can interpret that. Prophecy is how God's heart is revealed. People get saved not because they want to attend a group or because of any other reason besides that God's heart for them has been accurately revealed. You can scare people into church, and you can probably scare them into heaven, but you'll never have their heart until they have a revelation of God's love for them. We have all these people buying, like, the Christian fire insurance, right? I just don't want to go there. I, I can say that. You know, like, that is a lot of how evangelism goes sometimes. Is like, we sell hell to get you into heaven. But the prophetic shares and reveals the heart of God to say that you have been designed and destined to know your creator and to be with him face to face in the perfect. God's greatest longing is that his heart is accurately revealed and that's where the prophetic comes in. Prophecy is simply the outflow of what God is saying and thinking and teaching you. The second thing that prophecy does is that it builds up. Prophecy in the prophetic builds up the body. Remember we looked at Ephesians 4, like how long we have the prophetic until, right? Well, in that same passage, we find out the three things that the prophetic does for the body among us. It's, the first is this, is that it, it uh, equips the saints for service. And let me read that passage for you, I guess. It's for Ephesians 4.12 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we reach the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So many words. Let me distill it. Prophetic gifting builds up the body by first equipping the saints for service. How does the prophetic equip you for service? Is Paul actually says it comes through laying on of hands and declaring it. 1 Timothy 4, this is what he says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands. 100% truth right here. The only reason I am here right now with a microphone and you're listening to me is because that man right there gave me a prophetic word nine years ago. I was solely in business. That's it. It's like, I'll leave the Christian ministry to the professionals, those who, like, know what they're doing. It's like, and I'll go to business, and I'll write them checks. It was really, like, what my, I thought my role was going to be. And Eric, he's, like, not an average-looking man. Like, he's kind of unique. And so when he walks up to you, and he's like, my name's Eric Waterbury, and you have an anointing for ministry in your life in the kingdom, have a good day. Like, that was literally what it was. I was like, what just happened? He's an unforgettable man, but that was an unforgettable word. I was like, my first response is like, false prophet. (laughs) I was like, this guy knows nothing. Now I'm like eating some humble pie. But I received the spiritual gifting to be able to teach the scriptures actually through responding through prophetic word that I didn't agree with at the time, that made no sense to me at the time. That's entirely the the reason that I'm even here, is that God revealed through prophetic word for me in a rung of my heart that I should respond and that it was real and it was an impartation that I said yes to. Pretty rad, huh? The other way that the prophecy builds up the body is that it reveals knowledge of the Son. 
While you can study Jesus in the text, like I can study my wife through reading the Wikipedia entry about women, right? She's a woman, close enough, you know. I can read about a woman and never know my wife without relationship, right? Amen? I can read her biography. I can read all the stats. I can have all the knowledge about her. But you all know that you don't know someone unless you know them, unless you have a relationship with them. And for me, I studied texts. I like new Bible verses. I can't articulate this, but I didn't know the scriptures. I didn't know Jesus through the scriptures until I embraced the prophetic. My teaching is not necessarily trying to accumulate topics and bullet points and these things. It's actually God revealing in the prophetic realm for me the revelations of himself in the text. Whenever I have a tough text, I'm like, Jesus, this one sucks. Can you help? Why? Because 2 Timothy 2.7 says, if you want understanding for anything, ask the Lord. Relationship. There's so many times in teachings, like just today on this topic, it's like, Lord, like, would you help me clarify this? Like, I don't get this. And the prophetic realm is what informs my teaching. Because it reveals. It unlocks mysteries. It provides knowledge. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge. So inside the prophetic is the ability to unlock mysteries and the ability to possess knowledge. And likewise for words of knowledge, words of knowledge reveal the Son to people. Just like we talked about revealing the hearts of people is that you are revealing God to them. They're like, yes, like, that's incredible. Who is that guy that just helped you know that? It's Jesus. Amen. And lastly, it matures people's faith. The prophetic matures people's faith not only by revealing the Son and building community up and equipping people, but it also does something else in maturing. It encourages people. Paul says, but the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. The prophetic and prophecy does something amazing among us in that it reaches into the hardened mind of God to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. If you're feeling down, you just might need a prophetic word. I'm kind of feeling down today. I'm not going to lie. I've had a brutal 48 hours. Where, you ever have days where nothing goes right? It's like nothing at all today is going right. At all. It's like, I just want to run away today. This is like, I'm not used to having my butt whipped this many times consecutively in one day. And so if you're feeling down, if you're feeling discouraged, like the prophetic realm encourages, comforts, and strengthens. It picks prophecy and the prophetic paints a picture of what could be and what should be in the kingdom. That's what I needed tonight in worship. As I need God to reveal to me what should be and what could be in the kingdom. And it's designed to lift you up. And we see Paul encouraging Timothy in this exact way. He says, this is the command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight. We see Paul telling Timothy, don't forget the prophetic words that have been spoken of you. That's why when like, you see people pray, it's like really awkward. People are like, eh? they pull out their phone. Why? The recording. It's so important that when someone's going to give you a word, you like pull out a recording device, you remember it, you write it down. Why? It's because these things are supposed to have a long shelf life. They're supposed to come back and serve you and help you. I had several people who gave me some different words on paper and I like hoarded them and I slowly went through them like over two months. 
Why? Because I want that nourishment. I want that encouragement over a longer period of time. But in this, it's really important because prophecy oftentimes gets hijacked to tear down. Prophecy builds up. It doesn't tear down. Old Testament prophecy, look at what you did. New Testament prophecy, look what he did. Really key. So when you are in the New Testament prophetic realm that we are in, we always build up, we never tear down. Amen? So if you're proclaiming wrath, you are in the wrong spirit. Because all wrath suffered upon the old covenant and the destruction of the old covenant. God is not sending earthquakes or hurricanes to more sinful regions than others. It's not hot in Sacramento because we have unconfessed sin. At times I've wondered that. Because it was hot this week. Do you know what it's called when someone uses a prophetic word to call upon calamity? A curse. If any of you guys prophesy destruction on San Francisco with an earthquake because of God's calling the end of the world, I'm going to unfriend you. It's not how God operates. It's completely counter to his heart. And that's a reason why prophecy gets a bad rap these days. But most people think, and this is really key, most people think that if the word is true, then it's from the Lord. That kind of feels right. Like if someone gives you a prophetic word and it comes true, it's from the Lord. That's bad theology. You can have the right word, but the wrong spirit. Let me give an example. Acts 16, there's this really kind of funny place. You know, there's parts of the Bible where like, I'm just going to keep on going past that is a girl, a slave girl. She has the spirit of divination. She's following the apostles around. You know what she's saying? She's like, these men are from the Most High. They're telling you the way to be saved. And I'm like, sweet, they got an evangelist with them. That's awesome. It says Paul, like, sent out the spirit from her, cast it out from her, an evil spirit. That was the right word. Was that not the right word? The wrong spirit was giving the right word. The devil will tell you the truth as long as it will destroy you. Just because the word is right doesn't make the spirit right. That's why we're called to test the spirits. How do we test the spirits? We find out where does the heart line up. Is it building up or is it tearing down? Is it reconciling all things to him or is it separating them? If it's not the right heart, it's the wrong spirit. That's how we know. But that's also, when we say test the spirits, again, we're going to go briefly to cessationism. If all spirits ended, why would we need to test them? <laughs> you only test like a counterfeit $100 bill because there's such thing as a real $100 bill, right? So we're called to test because there's the real and also the counterfeit. There's the true and then there's the perverted. We have the two versions of the spiritual realm among us and we're called to test them. Just because you have the right word doesn't mean you're operating the right spirit. So let me end with this. Is why has God equipped us with the prophetic? Why has he equipped us with the prophetic? Because God is reconciling all things to himself. God is reconciling all things to himself. He's reconciling rap and he's using Eugene. Pure and simple. He's using finance, and he's using Jed. I have no idea what you sell, but he's doing that to it. <laughs> sell benefits, right? Insurance? No, what is it? Software. I, duh, I knew that. So with Brett. Your role, your job, your vocation, 
your life, your relationships, it's all this big, big instrument that God is like saying, I'm using all things to reconcile all things to myself. And so he says, I need to have a voice among the people. And that's why he gave you the mind of Christ. He gave you the ability to hear God's voice. That's why he teaches you with the Spirit. We don't prophesy what is to come. We actually prophesy what ought to be. When we look at the kingdom, we can say, actually, this ought to be different in the kingdom. That's why we can look at human suffering and feel stirred about human suffering. Why? It's because God is using the prophetic realm to startle our spirit to say, that shouldn't be in the kingdom. And we should take action. He needs you to share with your mouth what is in his heart and his mind. You notice we don't have burning bushes that God's like coming like, I'm going to stalk to that. You know, like he also resorted to donkeys in the Old Testament too. We don't have talking donkeys or bushes. We have you, which is a much better alternative. Wouldn't you agree? God literally needs you to come into agreement to allow your mouth and your thoughts to say what he's thinking and saying. How else will the world know? That's why Jesus says, if they don't say something, the rocks will cry out. I'm not afraid to use a donkey. I can use a rock. But I've chosen you. Prophecy is not for telling the future. Prophecy has given someone a picture of what is in the heart of God for how things ought to be. It always should be revealing the heart of the Father, building people up, not tearing them down. And prophecy in the prophetic has the most potential to shape how people are influenced for God more than any other gifting. More than any other gifting. Paul says this, that pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. Why? It's because that's a special equipping to be able to shape people for the kingdom that other giftings don't. And the Bible teaches that it's like a gift. How many of you know like LeBron James wasn't like good at basketball out of the womb, right? He had ability, but he then matured that ability. He practiced. He grew into it. He made mistakes. LeBron James had air balls, okay? We're going to just say that, right? The gifting of the Spirit for the prophetic is the same way. You're going to have wrong words. We won't stone you. I promise. It's part of the process. You might have a gift and you're terrified because, like, I once gave the wrong word. Well, first off, sometimes you don't know it was the wrong word. If I never met that man again, he would have never known that his word totally came true and changed my life. You don't always get the privilege of knowing what your word means to someone else, nor whether it's true. And if they lied about if it was true. It doesn't matter. When the prophetic builds up and unifies, encourages, when re- reveals the Father, there's really nothing to lose unless you're prophesying calamity. Then there's a lot to lose there. That's the wrong spirit. So you want to know how to cultivate it? How to activate it? You have to come back next week. I love you guys. It's good to be back with you.